0: I as one of the co-pastors here, and we are going to be starting a series today called Bible Say What? And um, this really funny little clip here is kind of a, just a picture to me of I think maybe how some of us have been taught to think about the Bible. Many of us have been taught to think about the Bible like a GPS. Ever, ever heard that in church, right? GPS sort of, the Bible is sort of this roadmap and, or this, this uh, sort of guide, uh, co-pilot, whatever you want to refer to the sort of metaphor images that we grew up with. And I want us to think about today, as you see, saw in this video, Dwight and Michael Scott from the office sort of yelling back and forth. Like, and, and as they drive into the water, Michael Scott yelling, like, the machine knows best. The machine knows best. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've driven my life into the water as I scream, the Bible knows best. The Bible knows best. Like it, it's tell, it told me to do this thing. Why am I drowning? You know, why isn't this working? And, I, and I'm sure there's plenty of us in this room who can, who can deeply uh, identify with that reality. Because I think many of us, maybe we don't, we, we were told that the Bible is this book, right, that is sort of this, this pres, book of prescriptions instead of a book of descriptions of people's experiences and understandings and, and traditions and reasoning of who God is. As, as well as the, just the very real rea- reality is that depending on which book you're reading or which time and era in history, there often can be contradictory wisdom and advice given um, because not all wisdom and advice apply to all people in all situations at all times. Uh, but yet we read this often and, and, and we, we uh, prescribe then this to all people at all times and we find ourselves with our car in the water. But the reality is, is I think Rachel Held Evans really captures this view of what I think, I hope that we can capture a healthier view of the Bible when she says, when we view the Bible as a source by which we should just do whatever it says, we will likely be led astray or be ill-informed because the Bible says a lot of things. Sometimes it contradicts your advice. Because advice that only applied to a certain time or a certain situation. And so today, um, I don't know, I hope my sermon's not too college luxury, but it will probably feel a little college luxury. Because I think a lot of uh, churches don't really tell people the story behind the Bible, how we got to where we are, the makeup, the nuts and bolts. And then a lot of people end up going off to Bible college or to become a pastor, and they sit in these classrooms, and they're like, oh, wow, this is a lot of information. I didn't know about this, that I didn't grow up in church. And then they don't take it and translate it to the congregations either because they think, oh, people just can't handle it, you know? and and reality is is you can handle it Um, and you should handle it and you should know so today we're going to answer some questions like the Bible is not a GPS then what is it who wrote the Bible who decided what books were included in the Bible when did it come together and how and why do we read the Bible all of that in 22 minutes (laughs) so buckle up because I'm going to try and talk fast I'm a good New Yorker now so what is the Bible? The Bible is a library of books. It's written over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors, all of whom are male. And then it is written on three different continents. This book has been sort of put together at various moments over thousands of years. People made decisions about what books would be in the Bible and what books wouldn't be in the Bible, and we're going to talk about both today. People who wrote these books, they decided these things um, after many, many years and after a collection of a deep oral tradition. So something you may or may not know, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Um, And I don't refer, you may, when I preach, you never hear me say the Old Testament. I always say the Hebrew Bible. And I say that because the old makes it sound like it's obsolete. Like it just doesn't matter anymore. Like we have the new who cares, but I think that it's really actually, it's, it's honoring to be able to say the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament because I think that they, they all matter. They all are part of our grand story. They all are places that we can glean wisdom. And sometimes, particularly within progressive Christianity, we just like throw out the Hebrew Bible. We're just done with it. Okay, just just the words of Jesus is all I want to look to. You know, we'll just forget about Paul too. He's kind of problematic, right? And so instead of being able to rectify, well, what, what do we do with this whole book? Let's not just throw it all out, but how do we make sense of this thing? Because our Christians have made sense of it, and Jews have made sense of it for millennia. um, And so we need to continue to try to rectify with it. So the Hebrew Bible, um, written in Hebrew, and then the New Testament is written in Greek. And then both of those books had been translated in different times, early translations, into Latin. And so you sort of have all these different books and whatnot. The Bible is ordered, though. It's interesting to remember, the Bible is not ordered chronologically. It's ordered by genre. So people who are like, well, I just started in the beginning of the story and I just finished in the end in Revelation, the beginning and the end, and it was just so, and I'm like, that's nice, that's fine to read it that way. Um, you can read it that way, but read it with the knowledge to know that it was not, it did not play out in the way in which it is ordered, nor was it written in the way in which it was ordered, and we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. And there are versions of the bible that you can get that are reworked in chronological order to be able to read it in chronological order but the the primary ones that we use are not that way so jews and uh and hebrew people um they they look to the old testament or the hebrew bible as an example of how they're supposed to be a good jew um that's how they read it christians we view obviously the new testament and the old testament all together um, but not as necessarily an example of how we're supposed to live, but as a long trajectory and story. Because there are definitely things in the Hebrew Bible that Christians do not ascribe to. Even if, even if they said the Bible is a GPS and the way for life and it gives us all of the wisdom, there are plenty of things that Christians do not subscribe to in the Hebrew Bible that we just pick and choose what things in there we want to still keep and bring on over. Um, and so we often look to the book as this sort of trajectory, this story of how we got Jesus. And, and so we have very different lenses often of how we view the Bible as well. So what is the Bible? Let's look to a few authors or theologians and biblical scholars to maybe see um, who've written on this to see how they describe what the Bible is from a progressive uh, lens, lens. What is the Bible? Rob Bell suggests the Bible is a library of books written by people trying to figure it out, wrestling with their demons, doubting, struggling, doing what they could to bring a little light into the world. Yet these books have been breathed into showing us what redemption looks like. Giving us hope, insisting that people like you and me can actually do our part in healing and repairing and restoring the world we call home. It's really beautiful. Dr. Pete Enns, Professor of Biblical Studies at Eastern University and the host of the Bible for Normal People podcast, which is excellent if you want to dive in and learn more about a progressive world lens and view of scripture. He says the Bible invites us onto a quest for wisdom to become more like Jesus. That's such a simple definition, and I love. Reverend Adam Hamilton, the author of Making Sense of the Bible, says, it's not an owner's manual, it's not a magic eight ball. You may ever open the Bible and, like, I'm going to get wisdom, boom, there it is, okay. Uh, that's how I ended up single and celibate. And then, a systemic theology book, nor a book of promises, it is just the first story of the Bible, a first story of the people of Israel and their faith in God. It is not read like a book dictated by God. It reads like a diverse set of writings, short stories, laws, codes, court histories, poetry, Prophetic warnings and promises written by people who were reflecting upon their story in the light of their faith. In the midst of reading Israel's story, we find our own story, and through their stories and their perspectives and reflections about God, we hear God speaking to us. And then, my uh, Hebrew Bible professor from Garrett Theological Seminary, also a biblical scholar, Dr. Cheryl Anderson says, The Bible itself was written by one group contextualizing the tradition of an earlier community and an earlier tradition. And they never felt, oh, in order to honor this tradition, I have to keep it exactly as it is. And that's what I want us to sit with as we, as we really think about the Bible. It is the evolution of a tradition. We often think of traditions having to be the same, but I don't know any about, anything about any of you, but if you've ever been a part of a you know, Christmas celebration with your family, it changes. As your family changes, it changes. As people pass on, as new people are added, as people marry in, as children are born or not born, it changes. And so too does the traditions of Scripture, and we can watch them written out. This is why I love the Bible, is because we have the gift of being able to watch someone's traditions change over time to the point that now this is the version of it that we have. It's evolved, it's moved, it's, it's been something that is, that is liquid and not a, a, a hard substance, To me, this is a gift to us to be able to look back and see this great history. Now, who wrote the Bible? Some might say God wrote the the Bible through humans. I would suggest that humans wrote the Bible about God that humans are writing about their experiencing sins as their understandings of God throughout time and throughout history. And often, as time goes on, they're in conversation with each other, right? I mean, you have the New Testament writings, they're in conversations with the experiences of how people experienced God throughout the Hebrew Bible or how people experienced God during their time uh, and, but versus how they experienced God. People writing about their experiences of who God is and, and sometimes that was really, really messy. Sometimes it was messy, John Barton, biblical scholar, says there are actually very few bits of literature that claim to be given from God directly, but instead are given by human authors reflecting on God. It's very interesting to me that we have certain parts in Scripture that um, people will say, like, thus saith the Lord, right? Or like God said in this moment. And I think there's some things that people say God said that's really problematic, Um, That I think maybe people thought God said, and we could have a whole conversation and sermon about that. But I think what's even more interesting is that when people say that all of the Bible is God's word, but then there's certain things in God's word that God said is God's word, right? It feels weird. It's like, okay, so the whole thing, or is it just this thing, you know? Um, And I think that's important for us to think about, that there are very few things that Scripture actually claims that people are hearing from the voice and mouth of God. Most of it is the writings and thoughts and history or poetry or dictation of of certain people throughout time in Scripture. So what I want us to look at really quick is I want us to look at particularly the Hebrew Bible. Um the historical books were written first. The historical books were written first. We have Genesis and Deuteronomy and we have Exodus and all these sort of books in the beginning, but they were not the first books written. Those were all passed down orally. People would tell those stories, right? Mommy, why are we here? Right? Well, let me tell you this creation story, right? And, per, and perhaps it wasn't days, but perhaps it was millennia that represented each day. And they told them that, to their children in such a way so that their children could remember. Why? Because they're not writing it down. If my husband so as much tells me four things he needs at the grocery, if I don't write them down, I won't remember them. Now, if he put them in a cute story, then I might remember them. This is how they did it. Oral tradition, they would pass it down through stories that were metaphorical to communicate deeper meanings. Um, why do people have pain in childbirth? Why are we working in the fields? Why is life so difficult? They come up with these narratives and these stories to create a deeper meaning um, in, because it was passed through oral tradition. So the beauty of this is, is that those books were not written first. The historical books were written first. In the 8th century, um, they begin to be written. And so all these books that you can see up there now um, people begin to just sort of write, and this is what's happening, and this is the history of the kings, and they would draw upon other written resources as well to sort of have this all documented, and then this would be able to be kept by those who were in power, which often is most likely why it was preserved so well. And then after that, then you begin to begin to have those first five books of the Bible written, the, the Pentateuch, and then you begin to have the wisdom Poetry books of the Bible, which is really interesting, right? You have like Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, um, these books that often people sometimes give like a ton of authority, but they're really just people's like moans and cries and journaling and heartbreak, and people look at that to that as like perhaps prescriptive when really people are just describing what they're going through, and so it's, imp- it's I think the early writers of, of who put who put the Hebrew Bible together they understood something. We didn't need it to be in chronological order. We needed it to be in genre order so that we could figure out how we were supposed to be reading different books. To be able to know this is a genre that's put together because this genre is wisdom. This genre is poetry. This genre is history. This genre tells answers questions and wonderings that we have in our life. Different genres capturing different things. And then you have prophecies. All of these books of prophecies and most of these books were all written by the individuals by whom are giving the the prophecy and preserved throughout time. The Gospels, though, it's interesting, they are written 40 years after all of the letters from Paul. Catch that. Paul's letters are written to the church. Forty years later, Mark decides, you know, there's a lot of things happening in this church. Paul's gone. Things are moving and shaking Lots of stories about Jesus are moving around and lots of different accounts. And Everything we have about Jesus is going through oral tradition. People are talking and telling stories, passing it down. Maybe we should write this down. Forty years. Forty years. Finally begin to write it down. There's a thing called the Q, Q source. And the Q source is basically, uh, we, we have many of the writings from this, but it was basically being circulated during that time of just like a bunch of like maybe the notes section in your phone. Um, people would just like hear something and they would, oh, I'm going to write that down. And then they, they begin to, co- those things sort of begin to be collected from all these different places. And it was the gospels that they decided, okay, you know what, like maybe we should start like putting together full stories, not just these sort of jotted down notes. And so the four different gospels begin to be created first with Mark. And Mark draws upon a lot of the sources in the queue. And then the other gospel writers begin to draw upon Mark. John draws upon Mark's first account. Um, but yet what's beautiful is that. All of their stories, sometimes there are varying facts and details. Sometimes they have different experiences or understandings. And the beauty to me of that is, is that when the early councils decided to put these four books together, they, they didn't find that to be problematic. They were okay with varying opinions and ideas. They were okay with varying conclusions and understandings. They were okay with different people seeing things from different, different perspectives. We, post-enlightenment, want everything to be super Factual and exactly right and everyone has to be on the same page We all have to believe and understand the same set of facts Very post-enlightenment idea But we can't project that upon the text If that wasn't what I was ever expecting as well If the text is to try to give you the variety of experiences of people How they experience God and remember God So I think it's important for us to continue to draw upon Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John They're written 40 years after uh, Paul begins to pen his letters but here's another thing that a lot, a lot, a lot of us are taught. Paul has all these letters, but there were several letters that Paul wrote that there is deep and always has been deep, deep debate about did Paul really write them. They're called the disputed letters of Paul. And they're, they're called the disputed letters of Paul, which are like Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Corinthians, 1 and Second Timothy, and Titus. And they're called the disputed letters of Paul because basically they don't really line up with a lot of his other writings. Sometimes they're completely contradictory with what he would say in other environments or spaces. Now, that could just be because he was giving different church communities different wisdom, which actually, honestly, isn't that problematic. But it also is because, really rooted in the fact that they see total linguistic differences, like his voice is different, the words he uses are different, his cadence, the way he's speaking. And so there's debate that maybe these letters weren't actually from him, but also there was an impostor problem. Paul's writing these letters and then he sends them off with somebody, but pause for that. Paul's actually not the one writing them. Paul's speaking, someone else is writing them, dictating them down, and then takes them and delivers them off to the church wherever that's gonna be. And that could take a very long time depending on where that church is to get that letter to them. So this is why we begin to see at some point, Paul begins to say, now I write my name at the bottom of this letter, I'm signing my name to the bottom of this letter so that you can verify my signature that this is from me, not written by someone else, because that's exactly what was happening. Division was happening. Amongst in the Roman Empire, as well amongst the Jewish community, people were like, so Paul just writes these letters to these churches, and then the people do what he says. I bet if we just wrote a letter and said we were from Paul and told them what to do, they would do it. And so this is exactly what started happening. People started writing letters. They'd sign them from Paul. Paul eventually dies as well. Guess what happens? Some of the disciples of Paul decide, well, I was underneath him for training. Y'all should listen to me now. And so they started penning letters from Paul and sending them off because they sat under Paul. And within Judaism, that is exactly the way rabbis are raised up. You have someone who's given at a, a very, very young, within the family usually, and they're trained, and you impart all of your wisdom. Remember, it's just an oral tradition often. It's passed, and there is no higher education. You pass down wisdom from generation to generation. So that was, very, that was thought upon, like, well, this person was a disciple of Paul. Let's listen to this person next, because Paul's gone now. And so there became great debate in the church. Did Paul really like, write this letter, or did his, one of his disciples, or an imposter... And so there's, there's much dispute about these letters because of many of those very reasons. And thus, we, why we, the letters where Paul actually signs his name and there's a signature, the early church is more quick to adopt. But they put these in the, into, into the, our canon because uh, they, had, they had enough faith to believe and think that maybe they were valid, but there was still dis- dispute and debate, but not as much dispute and debate about some of the books that were left out and the letters that were left out that they knew absolutely, like, there's just no way this, this could be a fit. There were other, plenty of others letters written to the church, as you can see up here, by different authors. Some who are known, some who are unknown. And I will highlight and say that Revelation, particularly, is interesting because many believe that it wasn't about prophecy, but it was coded language about the empire in Rome and how they were moving in on Christians at the time. And they didn't want to speak out against the Roman government, and they find that document. And so they used propaganda and metaphorical language to speak out of what was happening at the time uh, in the early church as the temple was also being destroyed. Moving on to the next question. When did the Bible come together? 500 years almost after Jesus. It's a long time. So you have all of these books that are circulating, um, writings, documentation, the gospels. People have these, but they're not all together. They're not all together in one book. It takes almost 500 years for, these, for church councils and the church to for, all come together and decide this is what we believe. You know how we always say every 500 years? There's a shift in christianity right um and we say like we're ushering in the next 500 years that's part of this at 500 year mark uh, we had the the canon finally come together and christians could be united on it 500 more years after that there was reform in the roman catholic church because there were popes that were just super corrupt and they had to reform that and then 500 years after that protestantism started uh, we broke off from the catholic church and now where are we at another 500 years later ushering in progressive christianity and so this is sort of this cadence that has, has happened throughout history. And just to think that the very first 500 years of, our, of, of Christianity, we didn't have a book all together, united as this authoritative piece, but there was still debate. And even to this day, in the Catholic Church, they have two books that we don't have because Protestants, when they formed, decided, eh, you know what, these books, weren't, these books were written in Latin, and so we're going to cut them out because they should have been written in Hebrew, and if they weren't written in Hebrew, we're not including them book of maccabees is one of those if you've ever heard of it it's fascinating to think about that so how did they early church decide which books made it in then how did they decide which made it in which ones didn't three criteria the three criteria were this they had to be written mostly in hebrew for the old for the hebrew bible and mostly in greek for the new testament the the second one was the time it was written the authority given to it right uh, was this the closest that it could, be, could have been written to the actual events of the time? The authority given was this. Was this actually Paul, or if somebody, uh, somebody speaking about what they saw Paul say or do? Right. And so the time in which it was written, and then the third one was popular use. Basically, what are the masses saying? Um, what are most people leaning upon as popular truth and popular use? What are, what are, what are people leaning upon both in the oral tradition as well as um, what had begun to be written down but not all compiled yet? So Rachel Held Evans says, The Bible is by its very nature, it invites us to wrestle, to doubt, to imagine, and to debate. By its very nature, by its very nature of its coming together, but also the very nature of how it came together, it invited all of those things, and it continues to invite our wonder and imagination today. So, what if the Bible um, gives us permission to change or disagree? What if it does? Because to me, that's what I see all the way throughout scripture. People asking questions, people reforming, people pushing back, people changing, people disagreeing with the times and moving to new places. Even, right, as even as early as, as, as Abraham and Isaac offering this sacrifice, and Abraham being stopped, and God saying, I'm going to offer a sacrifice instead of you. And at the time, that would have been crazy for people to hear, God, the gods are going to offer a sacrifice for humans? Humans offer sacrifices for gods. We look back upon that now, and we think that's so archaic, but at the time, it would have been revolutionary. I have a comma, a rainbow comma on my shirt. Uh, it's uh, a, a phrase of the United Church of Christ And they say, do not place a period where God has placed a comma. God is still speaking today. And I I think that the the importance of the church for the future, for the next 500 years, is to know that God never stopped speaking. Not 1,500 years ago when they decided to finally canonize scripture. Not 500 years later when the popes were crazy. Not 500 years later when we decided as uh, Protestants to break off from the Catholic church. God was still speaking then, right? So why would God not still be speaking now? Even the Protestants, you wouldn't be a Protestant if you thought God wasn't still speaking and doing something new in the church. So the fact is, is God is still speaking, God is still inviting us to change, to disagree, because I think the more that we do that, the more that we see both God and ourselves and one another. How do we read the Bible then? Well, when you read the Bible, Rob Bell says, you read it as an unfolding story. You don't edit out the earlier bits. Or pretend like they're not there They reflect on how people understood things At that time and in that place You read the stories in light Of where they're headed The earlier bits reflect on how people understood things At that point in history But the story keeps going But the story keeps going So a few rules of thumb when reading the Bible How do we read the Bible now as progressive Christians Number one To discern and ask the question Is this prescriptive or descriptive What I'm reading Is this prescriptive or is this descriptive? Number two, are there varying opinions on this? How many times have we just thrown a verse at somebody, but then if you're smart and you know the Bible well enough, you can say, well, but this verse says this, and this verse says this, and it's in contrast to this, so why are you just giving authority to this one verse? And so that's called systematic theology, is to be able to say, okay, what all does the Bible actually say on this? not just what this one author at this one point in time in history said, but what is its trajectory? The third thing to think about is, what is the cultural context to consider? What's happening at the time? Um, there are certain things that Paul tells people to do, uh, to do and not do that we look at now and we're like, wow, Paul, how could you, how could you say that? Or why couldn't you just go a step further? And, 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 and it just seems so archaic. But at that time, what he was calling them to was outside of their comfort zone. And it didn't mean that that was what he wanted it to be for all time. It was for that time he was calling them out of that. And we are called to call people into something new in our time. The fourth one is this. Recognize the flawed and dehumanizing natures of the text. Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney, biblical scholar, uh, says this and, 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 and really just sort of uh, was the crux of my sermon in that I hope that it also sits well with you. The problems with the Bible are as often rooted in the text itself as they are in the interpretation. Let me read that again. The problems with the Bible are often rooted in the text itself as they are in the interpretation. Some people would like it to be the case that all the horror of individual specific biblical passages just disappear. If you just translate them well enough. (laughs) Or interpret them well enough. But sometimes the text is just horrifying. Sometimes the text is just horrifying. And Dr. Gaffney gets it. Dr. Gaffney gets the reality is that we have to sit with the text. We can't just dismiss it. But we have to remember that it's a text that is living and moving. And you are the text today too. You are still writing the story of our faith as we read the story of those who come before us. So last question, why read the Bible? For me... It's because I take deep comfort in seeing the evolution of people's faith because so has my faith evolved. And it is an invitation to go deeper with my ancestors, to follow the ancient tradition of reformation, to follow the ancient tradition of growing in wisdom, of seeing through a glass half empty one day full. It is the reality that in this life, I may never see God the way the next generation will. And I sure as hell don't see it the way the last did. I enjoy seeing us mess up, guess, and grow in our understanding so that we can learn to love God and love others and love ourselves better in each generation moving forward. It's easy for me to sometimes throw rocks at our early ancestors of the Hebrew Bible or in the New Testament because I sit on the other side of millennia and I have access to the reformations of Jesus and access to a global world. And it's easy for me to to cast stones upon them. And it will be easy upon future generations to cast stones upon me that I didn't go far enough. It's a beautiful story, an ancient story, of three blind men who come upon an object. At the same time, they're walking, and one says, I think this is a tree trunk. And another man says, I think it's a rope. And another one says, "Um, I think it's a wall. In the end, it was an elephant. The moral of of this ancient story is that we all come to the world from different places. We all experience it from different angles and positions and understanding. And we may never see the big picture. We may never see the whole thing. We may never understand all of it, for we are not God. We do not see all of history now, present, in the past. But it is an invitation for us to humble ourselves. To humble ourselves in the reality that we are part of a tradition that is evolving, that is changing. And that we are called to this time in history to look upon our ancestors and to continue to grow and to change. So that is my invitation to all of us. My f- dear friend, Rabbi Milkow, she said, God can never be fully known, but always is being made known. And so church, my prayer for you is that you would keep reading your Bible, that you would keep coming to church and rooting your faith in this ancient text, because as you do it, God will become more and more known to you. Amen and amen.